This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The English digital online sales have changed the landscape of mixed Australian thoroughbred sales forever. Now, rather than wait for a mixed sale through the ring, owners, breeders and vendors can offer their product within a matter of days thanks to the twice-monthly English Digital online auctions. English now presents an online auction in the middle of each month and another at the end. Since going twice-monthly, the auction has averaged around 150 lots per sale and has exceeded a million dollars per sale with a clearance rate of almost 80%. To enter a horse or register a bid, visit englishdigital.com and follow the prompts or call 9399-7999. James Cummings is one of several trainers currently acknowledging the talents of Blake Spriggs. The Godolphin head trainer has runners at most Kembla and Newcastle Saturday meetings and Blake is one of the jockeys he uses on a regular basis. This is the young jockey who just over nine years ago rode five Saturday winners on a Rosehill Gardens program. A remarkable feat for someone who hadn't turned 18. Young Blake's career went along swimmingly for the next few years and even included his first Group 1 win on the imported galloper Sir John Hawkwood in the historic Metropolitan Handicap at Randwick for Paul Fudge's Waratah Thoroughbreds. Shortly after... Paul Fudge offered Blake the opportunity to go to Melbourne with Sir John Hawkwood for the duration of the Victorian Spring Carnival with the prospect of riding the horse in both cups. Sir John Hawkwood did run in the Caulfield and Melbourne Cups of that year but disappointed in both and Blake returned to Sydney after eight weeks away. He was just starting to regenerate his contacts here when he was involved in a nasty fall at Hawkesbury. The injury list, a fractured kneecap and a nasty gash over one eye. Blake was out of action for three months after that spill and he's the first to tell you it has been a long, hard road back. Let's have a chat with the man himself. Blake Spriggs, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me, John. Well, mate, you obviously had complications with that fractured uh, patella. Uh, it seemed to take forever. Yeah, it did. Um, and, and, you know, there's no good timing for an injury, but it was it probably couldn't have come at a worse time. Um, as you said, I'd spent a lot, lot of time in Melbourne um, with, with Sir John, just, just making sure that he'd be prepared for the cup and he was in, you know, grade order and, um, you know, feeling his best. So, you know, that... that Sort of broke my uh, momentum, I guess, after winning, you know, my first Group One only only a few weeks before, and um, yeah, it just took, it's just taken a long time for this this sort of uh, recovery, I guess, after the fall. You know, just building my contacts again, but I feel like momentum's mm. starting to swing my way, and and with stables like James Cummings and and Gay back of me, I'm sure I can get back there. Between that Melbourne trip with Sir John Hawkwood and the time you were ready to ride again. You lost about five months all up. It stopped you in your tracks. It does, um, you know. And racing, racing stops for no one, I guess. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that 
I've had to deal with. And, um, you know, I, I, I think looking back on it, I'd, you know, I'd probably do things a little bit differently. But, you know, at the time I, I felt it was the, the best thing to do, um, you know, not only for myself but for the horse. I felt like it, I owed it to him because, um, you know, Mr Fudge had told me that at any stage if the horse didn't feel you know, 100% or, you know, just didn't feel up to it as he, w- he was a rising nine-year-old. So he was getting on a little bit, but he, he did feel that if he, you know, he'd shown any signs that he, he, he wouldn't run him in the cup and he, he'd never risk, you know, a, an injury to the horse. So I was, I was quite an important piece to that puzzle. Yeah. There's no tougher gig in Australian racing than to retain a prominent spot among Sydney's jockeys. You virtually had to reinvent yourself. That's right. Um, I think a lot of jockeys that 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 come over to Australia or, or travel abroad, you know, will tell you that we've we've probably got um, the toughest riding ranks in the world in in terms of depth. Mm. Um, you know, I think uh, the top ten jockeys in Sydney at the moment could go anywhere in the world and and be very competitive. So it is it is very difficult. Um, but you know, you've you've just got to keep sort of turning up and and doing the hard work, and eventually, you know, someone will will take notice and you'll get rewarded. Mm. Well, you're concentrating, as we mentioned, on the Newcastle and Kembla meetings, which are being patronised by many leading Sydney stables and many very good riders. The Kembla and Newcastle Saturdays are getting tougher and tougher. Yeah, they are. The, um, you know, Sydney, Sydney trainers are, are taking a lot of their horses there now. They're looking to kick off young horses and get, get a win on the board early and also sort of re- rejuvenate these these horses that have maybe shown a little bit of ability early days but um, you know just just went off the boil a little bit so it's seen, it's seen as a good way to you know spark a horse and also you know get get that winning feeling for for owners who have invested a lot of money into the game and um, as you said the the, the riding ranks at, at uh, Kembla and Newcastle are very strong as well I mean you've got you know Mitch Bell Jeff Penzer Grant Buckley all of these sort of riders could could make a good living in town if they um, were given the opportunities, but uh, you know that that's not to say they don't do mm. that. You know, riding around the provincial circuit. And another very good rider who appears to be concentrating now on the Kembla and Newcastle Saturdays is Christian Reith. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I, I surely should have mentioned him. He's, he's obviously a, a multiple Group One winner himself. So um, you know, he's there's no sort of doubt about his ability and um, I think he rode a couple of winners there at Kembla yesterday so he's you know he's back and in form and I don't think it'll be very long until you know their Sydney trainers are asking him to go back to town. James Cummings gives you regular rides Blake and you return the compliment by getting yourself to Warwick Farm a couple of days a week. That's right Um, I was actually out at Osborne Park for the first time uh, on Saturday morning and I just go wherever James needs me, and you know, generally it is Warwick Farm. But um, yeah, it's something that I really enjoy doing. I, you know, I love being part of that team, and um, not only just riding the, the the top line horses and you know, extremely well bred horses. It's just uh, I really respect the way you know they look after their horses, and you know, everything's about the the you know the animal first, and and the result second, and and I, I really enjoy that. Mm. You're also very visible at Randwick track work uh, a couple of days a week and you ride for a few stables, primarily Waterhouse and Bot. Yeah, back to where it all started, I guess, um, in terms of Sydney. I, you know, I was obviously apprenticed to Gay and, um, you know, we've, we've had a very strong relationship. I, I, I rode my first group winner for Gay and, um, you know, travelled down to Adelaide and ridden 
stakes winners down there and just generally have have a lot of luck. She's she's uh, you know she's a particular person to ride for. She likes mm-hmm. her horses ridden a certain way, and um, you know if you if you can get that right, you can have a lot of success. And mm-hmm. I, I like to think that I've I've sort of worked that out by now, and um, you know it's it's paying off. You know probably every week um, mm-hmm. riding seem to be riding a winner or yeah. or every second week, and and I'm really enjoying that as well. Yeah. She doesn't like her horses to get too far back, does she, Blake? She likes them to be on the pace, and this is becoming more and more noticeable. That's right, um, and I think a lot of that's to do with, you know, she wants to take bad luck out of the, the equation, and if mm. we're up on the speed and, you know, leading or, or sitting outside the leader, you know, there's there's not much chance of them being interfered with or, you know, getting back in a slowly run race and, and basically not being able to win um, you know, having to run incredible uh, sectionals to beat them. Mm. So, um, yeah, she 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 is very particular, but I can understand it. And she she trains her horses to be suited, um, you know, that way. And mm. uh, I, I just I just go out there and do my job and and rely on her, you know, training to to have the horses, you know, extremely fit and mm. and um, you know, they're very very hard to get past once they do get there. You know, this could be a legacy of her early formative years with her late dad, Tommy Smith. He too liked his horses to be in the first three or four, regardless of the distance of the race. And I can remember Kevin Langby telling me years ago when he was number one jockey for Tullock Lodge that you had to be in the first three horses. Uh, Tommy just wouldn't listen to any excuses. If they got beaten, they got beaten. He wanted them handy. That's right, and and that's, and that's what it's all about. I think for owners, you know, coming into the game and or or, or staying in the game, you know, there's things that, that that can turn them away, and bad luck's probably one of those things. And you know, no one wants to walk away thinking, oh, we could have won if we, you know, if we had got out at the in the top of the straight, or you know, if that horse hadn't interfered with us, we, you know, we would have won. But uh, you know, certainly being up on the speed seems to take that out of the equation. I, and I guess that's what they're thinking about. Now, Mr. Spriggs, your partner of more than four years is the ultra-talented jockey Rachel King, already the winner of a Sydney Apprentice's title and a much-in-demand lightweight rider on the city tracks currently. Now, that girl is the envy of most jockeys. She eats what she likes and weighs 48 or 49 kilos. She's blessed. She's very blessed. Um, it can be frustrating at times if I've if I've got a light ride coming up and and can't eat much for dinner. I look across and she's got a, a full plate of steak and <laughs> chips and and whatever else. So it does it does get frustrating at times. But I am lucky. I don't struggle as much as most jockeys. But um, yeah, certainly not as lucky as, as she is. Well, you were telling me on the phone the other day. Uh, you two went out for dinner one night last week. And she tucked into a huge T-bone steak. Yeah, I think it was bigger than what she was. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was, um, you know, it was funny to look at. And I think, uh, you know, people look at the size of her and and mm. think she'll be ordering a kid's meal, and that that would do her. But um, mm. yeah, look, she, you know, she obviously eats comfortably, and I guess that's uh, something of an advantage on race day as well. Not, you know, not having sat in the bath or, or a sauna for a couple of hours to lose weight, you, you feel mm. fit and strong and yeah. you've got a tummy full of food, so it certainly helps. You don't have any major weight problems, though. You're pretty comfortable at 54. That's right. Um, you know, that's that's comfortable nowadays. They, they sort of set the minimum around these provincial circuits at 54, so 
you know, it just means I can get up and have a little bit to eat and, and maybe watch, watch what I'm eating the night before. But, mm. um, yeah, like I said earlier, I, I don't struggle as much as a lot of the other jockeys do. I don't spend a lot of time in the bath, but, mm. um, I do have to, I do have to watch my weight without being sort of too, um, you know, too scrutinized. Yep. Well, a few months ago, you and Rachel announced your engagement and you popped the question during a trip to the Jamala Wildlife Lodge at Canberra. You were visiting at the time, so you'd obviously been rehearsing the whole procedure. You told me you had never been as nervous in your life. <laughs> That's right. I was. Uh, it's funny, I didn't get nervous before the Melbourne Cup, but I was certainly nervous before that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was obviously a very special time. We'd, we'd spoken about visiting that uh, lodge down there in Canberra for for about six months, and um, I didn't know how I was going to, you know, go down there and 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 pop the question without her getting an idea of of, of it happening. So I, I I had to think about it quite a bit, but I I gave her the the stay a, as a birthday present, so she didn't mm. have any sort of idea that why we were going down there. And um and you know once we got down there, we, we sort of looked through the zoo and saw all the great animals and. Um, they looked after us a treat, and then once we'd had it, had our meal and went back to the room, and uh, we we you know walked through the door, and I was on one knee, and Rachel <laughs> actually, Rachel actually, she had a back turned to me, and and sort of continued to walk into the room, and and didn't realise what was going on, and I had to I had to yell out to her to turn around and actually take notice of me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, look, once she saw, she you know she had tears in her eyes, and it was it was it was a fantastic moment, and. Yeah, one we'll never forget, I'm sure. So she didn't use that shattering, debilitating term, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would have been very uh, very frustrating for me, but uh, no, she, she, was, she was very quick to say yes, thankfully. That's great. Well, you've been in the same race together many, many times and it must be difficult to completely dismiss thoughts of her safety and concentrate on what you're doing, but you must. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, safety is always, you know, the first priority when it when it comes to to, to any jockey, I guess. Um, everyone wants, um, you know, to get home safe and and for everyone else to get home safe. But it's 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 probably um, you know it, it is something that we think about. But it, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're competitors as well, and we've got a job to do. And um, you know, I'm obviously aware of of where Rachel is in a in a race if we're in the same race, and. Um, you know, you just got to put it out of your mind and, and, you know, think think about the obligation you've got first. And, uh, you know, once we hit the post, if I can see that, you know, oh, I haven't won, I, I look to see where Rachel is and if she's won, it's it's obviously a nice feeling. And, um, you know, we can we can celebrate those sort of things once we get home. But while we're at the races, it's it's uh, it's competitors first and, and we're both very competitive people. So we, you know, we really want to be able to beat each other, if anything, and, um, you know, sort of rub it in a little bit afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're very supportive of Rachel Blake. I've seen a lot of your tweets. Uh, you get a, a genuine thrill when she rides a winner, particularly in a major race. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think, um, you know, any... Any sort of couple will say that they would love to see their their better half be um, successful at, at whatever they're trying to do, and um, that's that's no diff- different for me. And I guess I'm lucky in a way that you know I, I have been through everything that she's been through with racing, and I, I've seen how tough it can be. And you know we we see the highs and we see the lows, and we're able to support each other through that. And um, you know the highs are 
or even more special knowing, you know, the, the hard work that she, she puts in and, um, you know, it's great to see that rewarded. We'll just pause for a moment on the podcast to clear a commitment. Back with Blake Spriggs after this. The Golden Eagle has completed its maiden flight, but the prize money bonanza continues on Saturday the 9th of November with the running of the $1 million golden gifts for the two-year-olds at Rose Hill Gardens. Co-feature is the hot Danish stakes, a group two for fillies and mares, worth half a million dollars. Then it's out of town on Saturday, November the 16th for the Hunter at Newcastle, a race worth $1 million over 1,300 metres. A week after that, on the broad stretches of Kembla Grange, the Gong will premiere over 1,600 metres, also carrying $1 million. And that will bring down the curtain on an unforgettable Sydney Spring Racing Carnival. And to think, it's all on again next year. My special guest is jockey Blake Spriggs, and we're talking about Blake's fiancée, Rachel King. Now, you'd expect two jockeys living under the same roof to talk nothing but racing, but that's not the case. No, we're, um, you know, we, we do like to, to sort of get away from it, I guess. Um, it's, it's, it's not really a job. It's, it's more a lifestyle. It does, it does take over. And um, I think to be successful, it has, to, it has to play a big part in your life, you know, on and off the track. But, you know, for your own mental state, you have to switch off from it. And, you know, we've, we've got, um, you know, good friends and uh, two dogs that, we, that keep us busy and, um, you know, we try and get out for dinner and ha- have a bit of fun and um, mm. just just act like normal people, I guess, which is difficult in in a game where you know our busiest days are on a Saturday and and most racings, you know, most Sundays there's racing as well. So it's very hard to keep up with friends and mm. and be a normal person. But whenever we can, we certainly try. You'd be at Kembla Grange or a Newcastle with plenty of rides, and you'd be watching Rachel's progress uh, at Rose Hill or Randwick or whatever the case might be on the closed-circuit television in the jockey's room. But there must be times uh, where you simply can't organise that, where you've got to be out in the enclosure mounting up or whatever. Uh, You'd completely miss some of her races, I'd imagine. Yeah, uh, it can be quite difficult. You know, the timing is... Is not always right, um, but you know the other boys in the room. They're they're pretty supportive as well. They'll always let me know, you know, how she's gone, if she's ridden a winner, or mm. um, you know, it's 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 nice to have have that support around you as well. And um, you know, I do like you say, I do try to watch every race, and I'm sure she tries to do the same. But mm. you know, when it doesn't match up, we can, you know, we're, we're quickly on the phone after the races to to find out how how each other's gone, and mm. um, yeah, and and like I say, celebrate afterwards if we can. You're the son of retired jockey Dale Spriggs, who had a very rewarding career. Dale rode for 40 years. He won more than 3,000 races, principally on provincial and country tracks, but I've known him for a long, long time, Blake. It it seemed for years there that he just never stopped riding winners. (laughs) That's right. I think he, you know, over 3,000 winners is... Is is never easy. Um, you know, I guess we've got Robert Thompson, who's who's uh, you know set set the record. But you know, to get to that sort of stage is is very impressive. And um, you know, I know when I had started riding, I always thought that if I could get anywhere close to that, I'd be very happy. And mm. um, I think a lot of jockeys would be the same. 
What is your tally at this point in time? Uh, I think I'm in the low to mid 500 um, yeah. career winners at this stage. So mm. I've got a little bit to go. Uh, you know, I've had had a few hiccups with with injuries and things, but um, mm. you know, I'm cha- I'm chasing hard, and I'm I'm happy with with where I'm at. Um, I'm always pu- pushing for more, but we'll you know we'll just have to keep getting that good support and keep the head down and and go one winner at a time. You rode in races many times with your dad. And there's one Quinella you talk about with great affection. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was very early on in my career. It was uh, probably in the first month, I, I think. And uh, yeah, we were we were at Taree, and it was actually a horse I had my first winner on. I I, um, I was in front and and looked all but home. And in the last couple of strides, he he came down the outside and nabbed me on the post, and quickly reminded me that uh, you know the racing game isn't easy, and and just let me know where I stood. Mm. <laughs> Your dad had opportunities to base himself in Sydney, but he chose the regional centres. That's right. Um, I know at one stage he he had an offer from Guy Walter to move to town, and mm. um, you know whether it be because of family reasons or or just that he 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 liked the you know the lifestyle outside of Sydney. He, he chose not to take that, and um, you know, whilst it, it it would have been interesting to see where that could have ended up, it's it's you know certainly, um, you know, it's still certainly been a, a successful career. Had you not chosen a career as a jockey, you may have reached impressive heights in athletics or as a soccer player. They tell me you could yeah. run a bit in school days. <laughs> I could, I could. I was never a fighter, so I always had to be a runner and. Uh, yeah, I was, I, was, I was always a kid that was, was playing any sport at school, you know, whether it be soccer season or cricket season or athletic season. I was always, I was always doing something and it, it kept me naturally fit and, um, you know, running was something that I really enjoyed. And uh, the first time that I, you know, started to, to run over a long distance trip, I, I smashed the school record, which, you know, which was a surprise to, to most of us. And, um, once I got to you know the diocese level and state level, I had a couple of coaches uh, approach me and want want to start training me, which I eventually took up, and um, mm. I competed over that circuit for for a couple of years, and um, I was lucky enough to to take out a state title over over fifteen hundred and eight hundred, um, which was which was very funny to look at because I was you know uh, height wise I was only alongside the other boys, I was probably at their their belly button or you know, just to their shoulder. So it looked very funny seeing this, you know, very short, you know, 14-year-old kid running against these tall, lanky, long-distance runners. But I was able to hold my own and, and showed a lot of heart, I guess. And, um, mm. you know, when I when I look at it now, I I, I look back at, at one name in particular I used to run against was, was a name, um, was a guy by the name of James Connor who, mm. who went on to um, – to qualify for the Rio Olympics. Um, so yeah. I guess that's a good form reference to, to where I could have been. But, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm very I'm very happy with the choice I've made and, and you know, to, to be able to say that I've, I've ridden a Melbourne Cup is probably uh, something that I, that I uh, you know, appreciate more. Looking back on your days as an athlete, what was your specialist event, your favourite event? Uh, look, I was probably... I loved I loved the the, the fifteen hundred meter running uh, because it was a real test of heart and um, you know you could be you could be fit but um, you know when when that burn kicked in you know with three hundred meters to go or four hundred meters to go you it was what was in your head and in your heart that that sort of brought out the best in in the athletes and 
um, I always I always thought you could you know you could tell um, where you stood in a race by looking at the the athletes around you and, and see what what was what the look was on their faces because you know if you could beat them beat them mentally then you know that was the race over because you know if if, if you could just go that little bit harder and, and just get that mental break on them mm. um, you know you, you, you knew you had the race won but I did really enjoy my soccer. Um, I, w- I would have loved to have seen what I could have done with that. I, I, I was, you know, approached by a few coaches to to, to play at, at sort of higher levels, um, and you know, I was told that there was an opportunity to maybe one day be at, at an A League level. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. But that's not to say that you know I, I didn't make the right choice in, in going with the racing game. Mm. So you were no Maradona on the soccer field, but pretty good. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I was I was not top class, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I like to think I could have made it to a decent level, but mm. you know, um, yeah, it wasn't to be. I think you're the first to admit that you were a lazy trainer. You didn't fancy <laughs> the grind of training. <laughs> yeah, it was. Look, it was. It was very, um, it was very hard. When I say I, d- I didn't like the grind of of training, it was, you know, we used to run uh, for for our long distance running training. We used to run ten k's, you know, three times a week, um, and you know sometimes that'd be ten lots of, uh, you know, four hundred meter sprints, which by the end of it would have you, you know, if it didn't have you throwing up, you weren't training hard enough. So, you know, it was it was it was very very difficult and very demanding. So. It was hard to enjoy that, um, but I, I guess I enjoyed the results and enjoyed the win on, on race days. So, um, you know, if I could, if I could get get the results without training, I certainly would have done that, and I think everyone would have. But uh, yeah, it was it was very difficult, and if you know, if 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 that's what it took to to be the best, then that's what I was going to do. And what was the reaction of your dad, Dale, during these early years? Did he encourage you to? pursue a career in sports, in athletics or soccer or whatever the case may be? Or do you think deep down he wanted you to be a jockey? Yeah, look, I think um, I think both parents were, you know, of the opinion that uh, they would like me to, to take another path, um, it, you know, if, if that's what I wanted to do. But, that you know, they were going to support me in whatever uh, whatever sort of sport that I took up, Um I guess you know they'd they'd seen the highs and lows of racing, and you know Dad, Dad was very lucky at one stage when I was when I was very young. He, you know, he 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 had a bad fall in the enclosure at Canberra and ended up with punctured lungs and mm. uh, ruptured spleen and everything like that. And um, and I know Mum was told at the time that it was it was a high likelihood he wasn't going to make it. So I guess mm. you know having experienced that, they were they were wary of of me taking up the the same sort of job and. And, and obviously didn't want their son to be at the same risk. But, mm. um, you know, they were also going to support me if that was the, the decision I, you know, I was going to make. Mm. Well, Blake, because your story is such an interesting one and because you're telling that story so fluently, we're going to split it into two segments. And uh, this brings to a close segment one of our interview with a very nice young bloke and a very talented young jockey in Blake Spriggs. Back shortly with segment two. 